I no longer want to live ashamed of who I am or what I've been through. There is nothing to be ashamed of. And if anything, it's something to be proud of and to own. And when you do that, that's when you gain your power. Um, and I think that's what I've been finding and it is so empowering. Um, and I know now that being vulnerable with my heart can touch others. And I think that the most vulnerable parts of ourselves, you know, sometimes those are the parts we want to hide, but that's actually where we can find our power and, you know, then transfer that to helping others find their power. Welcome to Let's Thrive the Podcast, a place for holistic storytelling with none of the BS and a whole lot of fun. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and my mission is to interview guests that inspire, educate, and empower you to live your best life. In these stories, you'll see a part of your own journey reflected in theirs and learn to grow from it. And with that said, let's thrive. Welcome back to Let's Thrive the Podcast, and I'm your host, Emily Feichels. If you're new around here, welcome, welcome, and if you're an OG, welcome back. Let's Thrive is a platform for holistic storytelling, where we work to share the stories of others in hopes of helping you rewrite the narrative of your life. So often, we think we have this one path before us, and that's the story of our life beginning, middle, and end. But in reality, we are the storytellers of our own life and we all have the power to shift that narrative in one way or another, whether that's to make life more exciting, more wholesome, more true to us, just without the conditioning of society that life is this one path with, like I said, a pre-scheduled beginning, middle, and end. So for example, A narrative I was told all my life was go to high school, then college, then get a job, then get married, then have kids, then dot dot dot. The end. And the moment I left college, went against the traditional career route and just started my own thing, I rewrote my narrative and paved a new path. Like I just, it's like I got on a bulldozer. I'm like, huh, I'm going right through the forest. (laughs) Let's make this new path. And Sure, like that was a bit extreme. Not everyone needs to bulldoze a whole new path through the forest, but it could just be as simple as like little changes um, to your own narrative, to your own path in life. So say for example, you've been destined, you know, all your life to join the family law firm since you were a kid. You know, everyone in your family is a lawyer. Your family owns a law firm. That's what you're going to do when the time comes. But then... When the time actually comes to make that choice, you decide, nah, man, I'm rewriting my narrative and you become a teacher. Like how amazing. Or bumping it up a notch. Society tells you that beauty means a specific body type and a quote unquote pretty face. Well, guess what, queen? You rewrite that narrative for yourself and others by embracing the body and the face you have and finding your inner beauty. Does that sound cheesy and cliche? Hells yes, but it's also damn true and definitely needed. So maybe you quit relying so much on the looks and the aesthetics and everything else to shine and instead you tap into that brilliant mind of yours or that sparkly personality or that intuitive nature to shine in the world or even this. So the narrative we've all been told to accept what we're told by quote-unquote respectable peers, (laughs) aka those that seem to be above us. So what if instead we started to question the status quo or the rules or the messages being thrown at us? Think of politics in the news media in this example. And as an example within an example, what if instead of listening to that professor or boss or the news that tells you that money is the key to happiness... You say, nah, nah, man, and decide that your happiness comes from starting a family, from traveling or helping others or learning or whatever else makes you happy and makes you content. And so that you're content with what you have right now. In that moment, you are rewriting your narrative from always striving for more in order to find happiness to finding happiness in being content with what you have. And those are just some basic ones I thought of like 
two minutes before recording. But honestly, like start thinking about it in your own life and how it applies to you. And the reason I got on this whole topic, tangent, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) um, today's guest is just like the epitome of this. Rachel Straining is a repeat guest, uh, also known as the No Gluten Girl on Instagram. And if you've been listening for a while, then you'll know who she is. But she's just, you know, she's a queen. I, I just really, really admire her. And she's been sharing her story and rewriting her narrative through her online platform to not only help herself, but more importantly, others. After being diagnosed with Crohn's disease as a teenager, Rachel thought her life was kind of over in a sense. She was told this story of what life would look like with her diagnosis, and she had no choice but to believe that story for years until something clicked. She started to see that she could change that path, that narrative, and that she could have a life again, and that she could rewrite that narrative for herself. And so in today's episode, we discuss what her recent work has been like to heal her body, shift her mindset, and be an advocate for others. Currently, she's one of eight international young adults chosen for the Young Adults, Crohn's, and Colitis organization. And not only has this work helped her connect and communicate with others struggling, it's also allowed her to shift that mindset and just really live up to her full potential. So throughout this journey, she's had to let go of shame and guilt of her condition and confront these limiting beliefs and false narratives about her diagnosis and life, just really embracing the fact that there is strength in vulnerability. And something we discuss also is this idea of thoughts become things. What we tell and believe about ourselves shapes our physical reality So learning to rewrite that narrative, to flip the script, to shift your mindset, that those all support the life we then want to manifest and live. So we do take a bit of a break though from the deep convo, (laughs) as per usual with the show, to discuss her famous uh, SCD friendly yogurt. I mean, this girl is unreal with her yogurt bowls and if you follow her, you know. So I had to learn behind the scenes of it. And then we get back on track to discuss more of the you know, deeper important topics such as um, the grieving process actually that she had with her diagnosis. And that's all part of that narrative she was told of, you know, you're going to be missing out on this in life and you can't do this anymore. And all these things she had to grieve when she was diagnosed. But then also learning how to be brave in the face of the unknown and letting go of control and and self-sabotage as she just really, as I've said a million times now, rewrote the freaking narrative of her life. Uh, She's just a wise soul, and I really hope this episode resonates with you. I know Rachel does too. We just both love connecting with people. We're very people, 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 people. yeah, like a person people. (laughs) We're both person people because we just really love to be, you know, with you guys and connect with you and talk and discuss. And so if you like this episode, if something resonates, if it just like, pumped you up or inspired you, let us know. You can share it with people in your, you know, day-to-day life. You can share it on Instagram. And if you do that, you can go ahead and tag us. Rachel is on IG at the no gluten girl linked below. And I'm on there at Emily Feichels and at Let's Thrive Podcast. We would love to connect, hear your thoughts, see what resonated, all that good stuff. So be sure to do that. And if you have a few spare minutes, like three spare minutes, if you could ever go and leave a rate and review for the show, if you like it, if you enjoy this content each week, I would so, so, so much appreciate it. Uh, And I, you know, I know it takes time and it can be a hassle. So if you do it, like, please know I really, really appreciate it. But I hope you guys enjoy this, and without further ado, let's get into today's conversation. I'm considering this like a fun, happy hour chat between two gal pals catching up. So say we were in person, we'd probably have snacks and drinks. So I want to know, what's your go-to snack and drink combo? Oh my gosh, my go-to snack and drink combo. Okay, my go-to drink is Spindrift. I am a hardcore Spindrift fan, and they actually have ones that um, are tall boys, so they're bigger than the normal cans, um, and I live off of those. I'm actually, I haven't tried their new pineapple yet, but I'm tr- looking to try those soon. Um, 
snack wise oh my gosh um oh siete chips hands down yeah so spindrift and siete would you dip the chips in something or would you just have the chips plain I literally just like shoved the bag of chips into my mouth. <laughs> See, I have to have them with guac. Well, of like, course. <laughs> or just mashed avocado, not guacamole. I never I made I feel guacamole. like we should do that. Um, it would be smart and uh, get some like veggies in there. <laughs> protein, but yeah, I like take a bag to the face like per day. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Um, I love that. And we'll just imagine we're eating some siete yeah. and spindrift yeah. as we as we talk here. But um, we were talking about this before we started recording, but it has been about a year since you've been on the show and we've both changed so much. Everything's changed. So I'm just curious, like what are some mindset shifts or emotional ways you've changed since then? Like just what's one or two that come to mind when I ask that question? Oh my gosh. I feel like so much has changed. Um, but for me, I think when I first started sharing my story and I first started getting involved in advocacy work, Every time I would post something or reveal a part of myself or a part of my story that for the longest time I tried to, you know, hide or suppress, I would actually physically shake when I hit that share button or I would share it and then like go run around the house and not look at the post because I couldn't believe I put it out there. Um, And now, yes, it's still so nerve wracking to be so vulnerable and to put myself out there and put the deepest parts of myself out there. Like when I talk about things like PTSD, anxiety, hair loss, weight gain, weight loss, you name it, like that is not easy. Um, But I think I truly have so much more confidence now in doing so because I know that if one person reads it and if one person sees it and it resonates with one person on any level, Um, then that's my purpose. And I think within the past year, that's how and why I've been able to, you know, gain even more acceptance of my diagnosis, knowing that I can use it to do those things. Definitely. And as you mentioned, the advocacy work is something that's really like taken a large part in your life now. And I feel like that has to come with a certain sense of confidence because, I mean, you've got to really like understand yourself and your message and be willing to be out there and vulnerable with it too. So how has like, how have you felt about doing so much like advocacy work? Because you're just popping up all over with it. And I love it. Like I'm always like, go Rachel, go (laughs) and go girl. (laughs) So your thoughts on it? Honestly, it fills me up like nothing else. Um, And the organizations that I've become involved with are a huge part of what has changed my life. And this year I'm um, a Crohn's and Colitis Young Adults Network Fellow. So I'm one of eight international fellows in the program. We're from all over the world. There's fellows from the US, India, England. um, And we're led by such inspiring and empowering young adults too. Like it is completely run and led by young adults. And I think the organizations and the people that I've had the honor of working with, not only do they motivate you to be better, but they simply just motivate and inspire you to be more of who you are at your core. And those are the kind of people you want to fill your life with. And for me, that newfound sense of myself from being around people like that, um, my increased level of acceptance, my increased level of education around these topics. Like if I told young Rachel that I would be openly talking about things like bloating and poop and colonoscopies for everyone to hear. She would literally want to crawl into a hole and hide. Um, And I think I was in denial for so long. I actively hid who I was, but because of the advocacy work and the people that I'm not only doing the advocacy work with, but doing the advocacy work for, um, I've reached a point in my life where I no longer want to live ashamed of who I am or what I've been through. There is nothing to be ashamed of. And if anything, it's something to be proud of and to own. And when you do that, that's when you gain your power. Um, And I think that's what I've been finding. And it is so empowering. Um, And I know now that being vulnerable with my heart can touch others. And I think that the most vulnerable parts of ourselves 
you know, sometimes those are the parts we want to hide, but that's actually where we can find our power and, you know, then transfer that to helping others find their power. Yeah. And I think so many of us just, you know, by the conditioning of society, we almost view vulnerability as a weakness because, you know, a lot of us in this field on Instagram where we're at now, you know, we're sharing our stories, we're putting ourselves out there and we understand that vulnerability is actually a strength. It's one of the best superpowers you can have. And, you know, but that doesn't come without kind of that deconditioning Mm -hmm. from society of accepting like, no, this is, this is good to be vulnerable. And I think it kind of plays into that saying, you know, where they, whoever they are, they say that, (laughs) you know, like when you keep something inside and it just like, you're shameful of it. Like it just, it brews and it festers and, you know, it just doesn't feel good inside of you. And the moment you let it out, like shame can't live in the light or whatever that is. And I think that's so true, especially when it comes to accepting being vulnerable and helping others because of it. Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head with that. And it has come with a lot of time and a lot of inner self work and a lot of therapy and also just a lot of, like you said, being, you know, picky about who I surround myself with because you want to be around people who are willing to accept all parts of you. But I think that's not realistic. And there are going to be people who are like, you know, um, I don't like this part of you or whatever, but those are the people like they, you don't need them in your life. And that has been something that I've realized. Um, and I think, you know, learning to find that confidence within yourself, um, it changes the game. Now, you know, we've mentioned the word confidence and, you know, insecurity a few times. And yeah. especially when it comes to accepting your vulnerability, you know, and having the confidence to make friends with the people who, you know, Mm -hmm. best deserve your time and your life and your energy, you know, like in the beginning of your diagnosis, did it make you feel insecure then? Like what aspects of it in parts in specific made you feel so insecure about sharing? Yeah. You know, for me, that is twofold because the pressures to feel like I was enough, um, came from, of course, the pressures of society as a whole, but it also came from the pressures within myself. And I think the two absolutely work in tandem together in life. But in terms of the pressures that came from within myself, I am a perfectionist type A to the extreme. And it is both my biggest blessing and my biggest curse. Um, So when I was first diagnosed, even when I just first started not to feel good and I couldn't do the things that I used to be able to do, or be the athlete that I once was. And I attached so much of myself to that. Um, It amplified that internal belief tenfold that I wasn't good enough. I wasn't worthy enough. I just wasn't enough. Um, And I think to have that pre-existing internal monologue and then to have a chronic illness thrown into the mix on top of it, it's something I still battle with. And what, are there any things that you like say to yourself or that you kind of remind yourself of in those moments of, mm-hmm. I don't think I can do this. You know, like I'm basically that feeling of I'm not enough. Is there something that you can, you know, ground down to, to just really remind yourself that you can do this and you are enough, even if it's just a momentary belief in that in the moment? Yeah. You know, I think for me, there are some days when those lies that I tell myself about not being enough, um, not doing enough, even when I'm going, going, going until I lay my head down on the pillow at night. Um, there are days when those thoughts and those lies do win out over what I know deep down to be true, which is that I am good enough. But I think that just by talking about it, like we are now, um, by calling those thoughts, what they are lies. And when you hear yourself saying, be like, that is a lie. That's the first step um, to gaining your power back over those thoughts and working to shift that dialogue and the things you tell yourself and then in turn, the things you believe. So that has been something that I try to do, just consciously being aware of the fact that this is not the truth. Um, So yeah, and even if it's just saying it out loud, I think that verbalization of it helps more than anyone even realizes sometimes. Um, Yeah. 
Yeah. Or like journaling, seeing it written down before you, like, yeah, there's so much power in writing something out, thinking something out or saying it out physically out loud too. Absolutely. And I think I've been doing something. My therapist actually recommended it pretty recently was to pick a mantra for myself for either the day or the week um, and just repeat it over and over. And it's like a sport. The more you play it, like the more it creates muscle memory, the more you say it, the more it'll do the same with your mind. Um, So that's something I've been trying to implement as well. Yeah, because, and I love that idea. It's almost the idea of if you can attach a feeling, emotion, a belief to that word, to that mantra, you know, whatever it is, then it does become muscle memory. So in the beginning, it might be weird where you're like, you know, you're really trying to like, just calm yourself down by saying this mantra, but you know, say like four or five days from that point, you might be able to say it like once and, or twice or three times. Yeah. Just feel that like sense settle into you. Like that truly is how muscle memory and mind memory and everything works. So it's true. And you know, I remember this quote and I don't know who said it to me, but I had a friend when I was younger who said it and she said, thoughts become things. And it is something that has stuck with me forever. But like you said, even just implementing those mantras every day, or I actually started implementing meditation for me when I go to bed, that is like when my mind is off the walls. So I've been doing it to wind down, to center myself, to ground myself, because those are the times when those thoughts really come about. And I find that the more I've done it, I have um, the Headspace app and it tells me like how many Ds I'm on of a streak. And that's also like the perfectionist I am. I'm like, I need to keep the streak going. Like we can't break the streak. But I find myself, I'm less reactive. I take the time to, you know, process process the thought that's coming in before I immediately respond to it. So that's something that helps a lot too. And I am not perfect and I am still struggling with it, but those are just some of the things that I've been trying my very best to do. Yes. No, and it is, it's all about just doing what you can. I mean, nobody's perfect. Perfect is just a false construct. But it's ridiculous. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Let's be real. Of course, I'm the person who, you know, my whole life I've had to try and achieve perfection only to realize that it doesn't exist, but it comes with time and a lot of, a lot of work. Yeah. And I think honestly, like, you know, so many of us are afraid of those major quote unquote fails in our life, or we're afraid of you like the setbacks or anything that kind of holds us back. But in reality, like, those are the moments when you grow, when you find your inner strength, when you realize perfection is not real. I mean, it's just, it's the rainbow after the storm. Like that's how nature happens. And that's how it happens like in our life too. A hundred percent. I think that how will you ever feel the light and know what that is and know how to appreciate it if you've never been in the dark. And that's exactly what my life has been. Um, But it's made me appreciate the good, but it's also made me realize that, you know, the bad happens so that the good can then come and fill in the cracks and spread the light. I love that. I so so love that. And I wanted to, so we were talking about before about being enough and kind of wanted to do this duality thing where, you know, I'm curious when you were first diagnosed and even a little bit after it, like, what were some things that you thought you'd you know, never get to do or some, maybe like some hopes, dreams that you kind of thought like, this is never going to happen. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do this. I won't be enough to do this. What were some things that you really dealt with in that aspect? Um, so sports for me was one. I, the seasons of my life were dictated by the seasons of the sports I played. Um, I grew up in a family of athletes. My Parents actually met after my mom saw my dad playing basketball in college um, and my mom played tennis in college. And it was never, again, it was never this pressure that came from them to be an athlete. It was the pressure that came from myself to do that and to be the best. Um, But for me growing up, I remember it was the end of my freshman year, my sophomore year um, was when I 
had to physically hand in my jersey because I physically could not play a sport anymore because that was the time when my body was just not working like it once was. Um, And I think that for me was one of the hardest things that came with it because I attached my identity to the home runs I hit or the goals I scored. Um, And to kind of feel like I lost that part of me was gut-wrenching and heartbreaking. But since then, I feel like there have been so many different pieces that have come in to replace that piece that I felt like I lost. And even now, you know, there are some times where I don't really have the strength to get out of bed or my body is physically exhausted and not because of anything I did the day before or the week before, but simply because, you know, that is how the fatigue hits me often with this chronic illness. But I'm now able to appreciate the ways that I can move my body again. And I don't take that for granted at all anymore. And I think when I was young and I was playing sports all the time, I took it for granted all the time. I was like, this is how my life will always be. I thought I was going to go to school for sports. I thought I was going to be a college athlete and then get a scholarship and who knew, who knew what would happen afterwards. Um, and now, even I told you earlier, I was playing catch with my family in the backyard, you know, this week and during all of this. And I didn't have that pressure on myself anymore to like perform. Um, And I could just play and just be there. And I think I never thought I would be able to do that again. So because I can now, I appreciate the simple act of just being able to do it rather than feeling the constant need to be the best. It's almost like you shed an old identity, you know, that was tied in athletics and all that you know fun stuff of our youth and you really had to embrace this new identity this new Rachel that does have to live differently and you know has a lot of ups and downs but is a you know new person and has grown from that too absolutely and you know I think it comes with layers and I think I'll continue to evolve we all will Um, And I think that's why it's even more important that I've learned that I will never be defined by one sport or even one character trait or one character flaw like that will never define me. Um, And I think knowing that and knowing that I will continue to evolve as I need to, you know, has helped me really become who I'm supposed to be rather than who I thought I was meant to be. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, one example, did you ever imagine you'd be such a recipe guru as you are today? (laughs) You know, it's so funny because I grew up cooking. Um, My mom is a great cook. My grandmas are great cooks, but I never thought I would develop this intense passion for recipe creation and getting creative in the kitchen and that's something that I don't think would have ever happened if I didn't shed other parts of me yeah I mean literally everything you post comes up (laughs) on my screen and I'm just I'm like okay well save that (laughs) screenshot it to remind myself I have like your web page up as a browser Just to remind myself, like on my iPad, so whenever I'm baking, I have like the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. (laughs) Just because it's like my reminder of, you know, like if there's like a recipe I need to check out or something on your blog. And yeah, like you're just and I mean you take it to like a whole new level too, because you do have like dietary and food restrictions Mm -hmm. and things that you have to be mindful of. So that's just amazing. And like especially your yogurt, which I kind of want to hear, like, how did that whole process go down? Oh, because you're God. queen with that. You're this queen yogurt with has, you know, really become this part of my identity. And I'm like owning that now. That's one of the new parts of me and we're going to own it. Um, so I follow, I started a diet that's geared towards 
um, reducing the inflammation in your body. And with Crohn's disease, that's something that I really need to be mindful of. So on this diet, there's different phases of it. So in some of the early on beginning phases, one of the food that one of the foods that is, you know, allowed and, you know, supposed to meant to restore the functioning of the gut and heal the gut lining, things like that is this 24 hour fermented yogurt for all the probiotic benefits and all that. But it's really become this like safe food to me. But I feel like now I've taken it to the extreme and like, we'll go all out with choppings and I make it every morning. And it's so funny because now that I'm home and I'm with my parents, um, my dad will see it. I'll be like, what is that? Is that dessert? I'm like, this is my morning yogurt bowl. <laughs> he, he's just jealous. He wants some. <laughs> he really does. He really does. And I, I will usually like help whip him up another breakfast, but I'm like, you're not getting this yogurt. Like this is, this is precious. Can you like, how do you make it? You, you said it's 24 hour, like. So, yeah, so you use, some people use um, inherently dairy-free milk. So some people will do it with like coconut milk or things like that. I use whole milk because through the process of fermenting, it removes enough lactose for me to be able to tolerate it. It's virtually lactose-free. So that's why like I use whole milk. It makes it creamier. It makes it sweeter. But because you ferment it, it reduces most of like the dairy that's present. but you pour it into a pan, um, heat it to, like on a low heat, but then you bring it to, you have to bring it to a certain temperature. You have to add um, the probiotic starter into it. But then I also add gelatin into it because like you need that thickness. Like she gotta be thick. Oh yes. Um, and then you take it, you cool it down. And then you, well actually you add the starter in, you know, at different stages of it. Um, and then you pour it into your yogurt maker. So I have a certified yogurt maker that <laughs> plugs into my wall and nobody can touch it. Um, and then it goes into there for 24 hours. And then I have to prep ahead of time because I consume so much of it. I have to make it days in advance so that like I don't go 24 hours when it's cooking without having the yogurt. <laughs> I love the dedication. It's it's insanity. I actually, I don't know if I've told you this before, but there was a time where I went away on spring break and it was actually when I was in the midst of a flare. Um, and I wanted to have some of the foods that my stomach can handle. And I shipped my yogurt on dry ice to Florida. Um, That's so dead. You could say I'm dedicated to the game, but yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love it though. But I mean, like, it's important for people to realize, I mean, like when you're on those, when you have like a, oh, hi, doggy, <laughs> freaking little things. Um, when you're on a flare, like you have, I mean, I can only imagine like food becomes like a very pinpoint. This is what mm-hmm. I can have. This is what I can't have things. Yeah, so, and you know, yeah. That's the thing also about IBD that I try to really get across in my messaging um, is that it is something that is so different for everyone. There are some people who honestly food doesn't affect them. There are some people who have been able to heal like heal and reach remission um, solely through food. There are others who have only been able to do it through medication. There's some who have able who have been able to do it together in conjunction, like me. Um, And I think that it is about finding what works for you because unfortunately there is no one cure. Um, And there also, you know, there's not one way to go about it when our bodies are so individualized. And I think that's something that I've learned and I know yogurt for me is something that I need to feel good. And so I do it. There are some other people who, don't need it at all, or I think it's crazy, and that's fine, but I need it, so, yeah. Yeah, and you know, like, it does come down at the end of the day, like, that's where, you know, like, it gets, you know, when people are judging, it just comes to the point where you really need to, like, stop, check yourself, and say, like, 
why am I judging right now? You know, like the, like the, because the fact of the matter is at the end of the day, like we all are so different and unique, yes. even without health issues. And then you yeah, feel absolutely it. at our core, yes. just naturally as human beings, we're all so different. Yeah. And then you throw in something, you know, like Crohn's chronic, any, any health issue and it becomes, you know, even more unique and individualized yeah. and even people's gut floras are so different. Like yes. Anything. Yeah. And so like to have, you know, any judgment around what people are eating and how they're doing it and how they're healing, like that's their own process. And if, yeah. even if you generally think someone's doing something wrong, you're not going to change their mind nine times out of 10. Like you've just got to like mind yourself. And I think that's something that can get tricky with Instagram because a hundred percent, you know, people, you, you just, you know, they want to help, they want to give their advice or they want to like you know, not be so friendly and give their stern advice. And at the fact, you know, at the end of the day, it's just like, that's unwarranted and it's not always needed. And so, oops, that was my meditation alarm. Remind me to meditate after this, everyone. Um, I'll remind you after too. (laughs) But yeah, it's together afterwards. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Live meditation on the podcast. Um, What was I saying? Oh, but yeah. So, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, like, we all have our own yogurt, so to speak. We all have that one thing that we love and do. So I admire you and your yogurt. Like, I think that's a lot of dedication. And I think it's amazing that you found your thing that works. Like, yeah. And, you know, it's been so hard. And I think also, like you said, also for me growing up with it, like I was so lost. Um, And sometimes I still really do feel that way because, you know, things can change day to day and nothing's ever certain. But, you know, there are certain things that like I go to for comfort. And for me, like comfort food exists for that reason sometimes. And that's okay. Um, And like people will have different comfort foods. They have different coping mechanisms. And just because someone's isn't the same as yours doesn't mean it's wrong or doesn't mean it'll even work for you. Um, And I think that's hard in the wellness space and especially in chronic illness because, you know, people, people just want answers, especially when you have health problems. You just want a clear, direct path. You want to know what to do and you want to figure it out. But it is the most confusing process that I have ever experienced in my life. And it is such a struggle of, you know, trial and error. And that's something that comes with the territory, but it's not easy. Um, But I think knowing that, you know, when you find something that works for you, like hold on to it. And you know, if there comes a day where it doesn't anymore, don't feel discouraged. Just know that there will be something else that will. Now, like when that day comes, you know, saying you do have to let go of something that previously worked for you. I mean, I've heard you and Nat and a few others discuss this. And I know I've gone through it as well with myself where it's like, an actual grieving, low-key, like high-key grieving process that can occur, especially for things that are sentimental, that provide comfort, uh, that we tie to feelings of safety. So like, how did that process look for you? Did you experience that? How'd you work through it? Yeah, you know, so you know the background, but about a year ago, I woke up one morning after being technically considered flare-free for a pretty long time. Um, I woke up one morning and I felt a pain in the side of my stomach and I knew it was happening. Um, And I'm going to get emotional talking about it because, again, it's still something that is so emotional to speak about, but it's what I have devoted myself to speaking about because if there's one person out there who has gone through something similar, like, I want this to help them. Um, And it's also helping, it helps my grieving process to talk about it, I think as well. But I woke up one morning and I knew the pain. I knew exactly what it was. Um, And everything I had been doing and everything I thought to be true for so long at that point um, was flipped on its head. And I felt like my world was flipped upside down. Um, And I felt like my health that I had tried so hard to get back after first getting diagnosed was taken away from me. Um, And that was not only was being diagnosed and, you know, originally searching for answers, one of the hardest ever hardest things I've ever had to go through, but 
having gotten to that point where I thought, you know, this is great. I'm doing so much better. And then waking up one day and not having it be that way. Um, that was, that was hard. And I think even a few months ago when I got the news that I'm technically now in remission again, which is huge. And it should have been this moment of complete bliss and satisfaction because I got it back. And it means I have no signs of active inflammation or active disease. And it was this news I had been yearning for and working towards since I felt like it all was flipped upside down. Um, I struggled with accepting it because at that point I got used to hearing that I was sick um, and it didn't feel real. And it felt like it was so hard for me to fully embrace, even though it was everything I wanted and I worked for. And I think because I know what it's like to help have your health taken away from you out of nowhere and in the blink of an eye, um, to hold on to the word remission scares the living crap out of me. Can I say crap? Can oh, you, you can fall okay. there. Yeah. Yo, you're because, good. <laughs> because I had been told I was in remission before. And then, you know, a year later I woke up and I was in the hospital. So yeah, um, I'm still working through the fear that I'm going to somehow jinx the good by embracing it. I don't know. I've been scared to fully acknowledge how much progress I've made since a year ago because I'm scared it'll be taken away from me all over again. But I think now has shown us, if anything, that none of us know what tomorrow will bring. We have no clue whatsoever. And I think that right there is both the beauty of and the beast that is this life. Um, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I don't know what will even happen next year. But I do know that as hard as it is to not live in fear, living with that constant fear is no way to live. And it lets the fear of the future take away from all of the good and all of the healing that can be found and is happening in the present. So, so true. And I think it can be hard for us to accept a good thing sometimes to accept being happy or to accept being content, especially when you've spent so much time fighting or feeling those certain emotions. And it's almost like we, we get to this point where everything is okay. We have an answer, you know, like we should be happy, but we can't help but feel like the other shoe is about to drop any dang second and just squash us. Exactly. That's what we're used to. You know, our nervous systems, like down to a cellular level, have been trained to expect that. And, you know, that kind of ties into, you know, you mentioned it before, but PTSD and something that a lot of, you know, us, whether we've gone through major grief or we've gone through a diagnosis or a traumatic event, like it's just something that we live with and we have to work through it. And it's not easy. That's the thing, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a lifelong practice almost. It it is, and I'm still going through it. I mean, when I was younger, and then one day I knew something was wrong, and then to fight to get back to a point where I thought I had things under control, and then to have it all slip out of my hands again, it felt like that, to me, I have always been you know, stuck in the sense that, oh, history will repeat itself and that'll always continue to happen because that's how it's always happened. Um, And yes, it's scary and it's terrifying and it sometimes literally feels paralyzing. Um, But I think also not knowing what will happen in the future, we have to treat it as even more reason to appreciate what you do have right now and where you are right now and even more reason to stop and be present in the now because I think flipping that narrative and allowing it to make you appreciate the now rather than focusing solely on the fear that the uncertainty may bring, I think that is how you, you know, again, like I talked about, take your power back. Yeah. I mean, it's, it all comes down to, in a sense, control 
you know, as humans, we fundamentally want control. Some of us want it a lot more, uh, you and I included. (laughs) And so when things aren't in our control, it leads to all those other emotions. So like coming to a point where you can just kind of see what you can control and what you can't control is truly like, I think one of the, you know, like kind of easier ways to accept it. You know, like if you can just accept what you can and can't control, like blessing, cause that's going to help you in life. <laughs> God bless. I think the control aspect and just control in life, it's one of the most difficult things because as humans, we inherently crave control. Like you said, we feel comfortable when we're in control and uncomfortable when, you're, when we're not. We find comfort in the known and discomfort in the unknown. And I think life is already so full of uncertainty inherently. And then to have the uncertainty of the body you live in and the health that comes along with it, it's a lot. And as a type A person too, it only exacerbates that need for control for me. Um, But there are certain things I can control when it comes to my health. And I've actually been told to make a list, like physically write it down. This is what I can control. This is what I can't. Um, So there are certain things I can control when it comes to my health. I can control the food I'm putting into my body, the rest I'm giving it. Um, But sometimes there are other aspects where something like Crohn's disease just flat out has a mind of its own. Um, So I think I try to see it based on those two lists as two conscious choices and two conscious options. Either I could continue to drive myself crazy and stress over the things that will literally never be in my control, which I think only then creates this vicious cycle and this spiral. Um, Or I could continuously and repeatedly tell myself it will work out until I actually start to believe it. And, you know, if I spend the rest of my life in constant fear of the unknown, what good does that do me? Because I know for a fact, stress is something that makes my Crohn's 10 times worse. So if anything, for me, trying to attempt to control the uncontrollable, like I'm some superhero, is actually almost self-sabotaging in the sense that if I'm constantly worrying about the worst case scenario, I could actually manifest it by raising my stress levels and then having a flare happen. Yep. Yep. Oh, it's just like this idea of, yeah, I mean, just self-awareness, you know, it comes down to self-awareness and being aware of those emotions and those feelings and what you can't control and what you can't. And um, it's so very true that our, our thoughts do become, like you said before, our thoughts become things. Uh, what we feel, what we think about, you know, they just find a way into our life somehow, some way, however you believe in it. It's the whole manifestation aspect. And, you know, if you are constantly picturing the worst case scenario, it's bound to happen. Just in the sense that for me, the stress idea, if I'm constantly stressing about being sick, the stress will cause me to be sick. Um, And, you know, I'm personally still trying to figure all of this out. Like, like you said, it is, it is deep, deep, long-term work. And I think, you know, the advocacy work that I do and the message that I try to get across is, comes from a place of I'm right here in this with you. And we are trying to figure this out together rather than I have this all figured out. Look at me because I don't, you know, like, I'm battling the PTSD, I'm battling the anxiety, I'm battling the trauma and the emotional remnants of it all. Um, But I think we tend to want to share what we've learned when we've learned it. But there's also, you know, this really amazing thing that happens when you share what you're in the midst of, because I think a lot of us are just in the midst of it all. Yeah, sometimes the greatest teacher is not one, you know, above you, but one right along beside you, you know, yeah. someone going, you know, not the, not the war general, but the soldier going right through the yeah. trenches with you, um, so to speak. And I think you do an amazing job with that. Uh, Thank you. That was actually, yeah. no, that was something that was hard for me too. 
because as the perfectionist, yeah. I'm like, I need to have it all figured out before I speak on anything, you know? But that's just not where I am. And that's also not who I am. No. And you are an amazing Rachel that we all love. And you're going to make me cry now. Oh, no. Oh my gosh. This whole episode was just so, so, you know, wise and inspiring and empowering <laughs> and educational to make yogurt. And I just, thank you so much for coming on. And I just want everyone to follow you and see everything you're up to because you truly inspire me. You truly do. Inspire me. And I can't thank you enough for, you know, asking me to come back because like you said, I think we've both grown so much in this past year and it's crazy to see where we are now, but be able to be able to come together and just like reflect on all of that. Um, it's, it's incredible. And it just makes me so grateful to have someone like you in my life that I can do that with and, you know, be on this journey with, even if we're apart physically, like we still know what's going on in each other's lives and we can talk about it and share what we're going through. And like that right there is what it's all about. Yeah. And someday we'll be in person sitting with some siete and tall boys. We will be drinking our spingest tall boys and uh, you will be having chips with guac and then I will be inhaling the bag straight to my face. <laughs> yes, yes. And it'll be a true moment of reflection. And making yogurt together and yes. doing all of the things. <laughs> <laughs> all the fun things, all the typical things. Well, where can people find you and follow along and just, yeah, be, you know, be right there with you? Yeah. So on Instagram, I am at the no gluten girl. Um, I was very surprised nobody had taken that when I first started my account. Honestly. <laughs> but I'm never giving it up now. I joked the other day on my one of my captions, I was like, I'm becoming the no, no, I'm becoming the yogurt girl. But I would never give up the no gluten girl. I can never do that. Um, so Instagram, I am the no gluten girl. And then I recently launched my blog a few months ago thenoglutengirl.com. And then for advocacy stuff right now, I'm also over at um, the Crohn's and Colitis Young Adults Network. So you can find some of the work that I'm doing with those incredible human beings over there as well. And it is truly something to watch. So I advise everyone, give it a little look, even if you're not in the, you know, chronic illness field, it's, it's just some good life inspiration. Even Yeah. You so. know, I think that's part of it too. It's not only showing others who are going through it, that we're going through it with them as well, but it's raising awareness for people who have no clue what it is or what it's about or what it's like. And I think that educational aspect of it too is really important for us to just all implement a little more empathy and kindness in our daily lives yep never stop learning the more you know the better so the more you know and you learn something new every single day (laughs) i hope you guys are inspired by that episode i know that after talking with rachel that day i was just so over the moon like yes life is good. We can do this. (laughs) I just feel like it was a really good overall conversation. We went on a lot of different topics. uh, And as I said in the intro, this is her second time on the show. So if you want to know a bit more of her backstory, which we didn't really dive into, you can go back and listen to her first episode. I forget the number. I'll have it linked below uh, what her previous episode was. And that gives more of like background story on her, whereas this one was just two souls connecting, talking about important things. So let us know if you liked it, if you listened, what resonated. We would love to connect. Rachel is on Instagram at the No Gluten Girl, and I'm on there at Emily Feichels and at Let's Thrive Podcast. Thank you all, as always, for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.